Welcome to Canada's least listened to sports broadcast. This is the SBN Sports Roundtable. Your opponents for today's battle, fighting out of the red corner, from Pink Village, Ontario, Canada, it's the one, the only, the infamous, Dwayne Rollins! His opponent, the Lavelle Comet, Kevin Laramie! Special guest referee for today, Nate Sager. Welcome to the SBN Roundtable. I'm Dwayne Rollins. Nate Sager is our guest today. He is a junior hockey expert. Uh, we've had him on this show before. He's covered uh, the World Juniors for years, junior hockey for years. Uh, he's a Kingston Frontenac fan. I will forgive him as a now former Belleville Bulls fan for that because I don't have a team anymore. So well, I, I can't really keep that rivalry going anymore. How you doing today, Nate? Good, Dwayne. Thanks for having me. You mean you, have, you didn't switch your switch your loyalty over to the Hamilton Bulldogs? I mean, you would double their that would double their fan base. I know it would, and that makes me bitter. I have not paid one second of attention to the OHL this year, Nate, and I won't until they get me my team back. But that's another story for another day because we're talking about the uh, World Junior Hockey Championships as one of our main topics today. Um, before we do that, Nate, uh, you've got uh, you're writing for a, a new site uh, recently. Want to tell us about that? Yeah, yeah I just started with uh, Bay Today, which uh, BayToday.ca, which is a sort of a online you know, news portal that, with Village Media. They've you know, in a, in a couple of uh, you know northernish Ontario market, markets like Barrie and Sault Ste. Marie, you know, and North Bowl, obviously, yeah. Uh, just sort of, you know, they're all really sort of good, you know, junior hockey markets. So it's, it's very excited to be doing to doing that, and thankful to Chris Dawson, who, you know, a good friend of mine, to for hook, hooking that up, and so chipping in there here and there, while until the, the next big thing comes along. Fair enough, and uh, we we do enjoy work there, and hope to to see you writing for long into the future on junior hockey because you're an important voice in it. Uh, let's talk about the World Juniors now. And in the past, we've sort of uh, asked about whether the hype has gotten too big. Uh, I noticed that uh, they're showing a Belarus uh, exhibition game on all all the networks on TSN tomorrow. So I don't think there's any danger of the hype getting reduced anytime soon. Nate, uh, what are your <laughs> what are your emotions? What are your feelings heading into uh, this World Junior title championship over in Finland this year? Yeah, it, it almost has gotten to a saturation point. You kind of wonder when the when the wave crests and breaks back a little. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean the IIHF kind of loves it because you know it's like this is the tournament that can sell in North America. Uh, you know, the NHL network and the American media have kind of gotten a hold of what a good tournament it can be. Uh, you know, once you filter out some of the draws and the and some of the blowout games. And over in Europe, of course, the spring, uh, you know, senior double IHF world championship is kind of, is kind of their tent pole event on that side of the pond. But in, yeah, in Canada, it just kind of, I mean, there is an, 
definitely an appetite for it. And, and people do sort of turn away from the NHL for 10 days to watch it. But at the same time, like, I mean, it's not a really a junior hockey event anymore. It's long ceased to be one. It's just more of a, a thing, thing that people watch through an NHL lens and everyone becomes an expert on junior hockey players for, for two weeks. Uh, and the people who actually attend, you know, Canadian hockey league games generally can't even afford to get in, into the building. So there is a bit of a, a dichotomy there, but it, it is what it is. And I, I mean, I should be, you know, if you want to talk about getting too big, I mean, I'm sure you saw the announcement that there could be an indoor game of the 2018 championship in Buffalo. And I just think this is the worst idea ever <laughs> because I mean, first off, it's one thing to put and do an outdoor game is like one out of 82 in a regular season. You're talking about one game out of potentially seven in a 10 day tournament played by 18 and 19 year olds. And I'm sure everyone's just playing on that outdoor ice, you know, takes a lot more juice out of your legs. And I just can't imagine how someone thinks that's a good idea, other than the fact you sell a ton of tickets. <laughs> I, well, yeah, exactly. You are talking about hockey, which is uh, they're going to have a quote unquote world cup involving a U23 team with two different countries involved. So that's maybe we'll talk about that at the end of this, but let's stick with junior for now. Um, Nate, before I bring Kevin in, I want to ask you a little bit of the difference between a North American and a, and a European event. You've, you've been at both. Um, what is sort of the vibe, the difference in the, in the feeling being at a, an event in, in Europe versus an event here in Canada or close to Canada in the United States? Yeah, well, in Canada, I mean, the intensity for it. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to go to go to Calgary and Edmonton and Montreal, Toronto. It's it's the tournament's omnipresent when when it's anywhere else, even Buffalo. You know, like it kind of got lost in the shuffle. I mean, other than for the Canada games that were so that were packed and intense, the other the rest of the tournament was was kind of ho hum until until you got to the the medal round. I mean, it is starting to get more cachet in the U.S. I mean, it used to be, you know, when when the Americans' turn came up to host it, it was kind of like, hello, is, you know, is the mic on here? Uh, does anyone want to host it? And this time around, you saw, you know, a bunch of cities, you know, putting in for 2018. And uh, over in Europe, it's, it used to be an afterthought. Now it is sort of picking up, but it's still a, almost kind of more like a Memorial Cup atmosphere. You're playing in, you know, a 6,000 or so seat building and, but but it's still got that little sort of self-contained, you know, village environment around it. Kevin, uh, I want to talk to you about the experience last year in Montreal uh, where it did sort of maybe struggle a little bit. Was that from your position as a Montrealer uh, more of a pricing situation or uh, is, is this just not the, you know, it should be in smaller markets in Canada? Kevin, what are your thoughts there? I think it's because, well, uh, the fact that it was like a bit, in Montreal last year, but more this year with the final in Montreal. I think it's because it was the, the Toronto-Montreal divide with part of the tournament here, part of the tournament there, and uh, you not necessarily see the end of that tournament in your own city. I don't know. I, it, it was very expensive for the tickets for Montreal last year. Well, this year, obviously, the final is going to be even more expensive. But what I mean is it doesn't necessarily go get the actual junior fan crowd. And in Montreal, in the region of Montreal, it's not necessarily a region where there's a lot of junior hockey fan. The experiment has been tried and tried again with a junior hockey team in the Montreal region. If you're looking at the Rocket, if you're looking at even before or after that, the junior, both were failures with uh, barely a couple thousand fans for every single home game. 
the actual World Junior Championship will probably be almost close to sold out, but it's the actual crowd of regular NHL, like Nate was saying earlier, the fans. It's there's no little pocket of world uh of Sweden fan in Montreal. So it's gonna be like Canada, United States gonna be supported a bit, but I think it's gonna be like uh, the international tournament we've seen in Canada over the last couple of years where if Canada or the States are not involved, uh the stands might be a little empty. Nate, I'll, I'll ask you that. Uh, I mean, you, you saw firsthand the Montreal situation last year where the attendance wasn't that great. Was it just as simple as what Kevin said, that they didn't feel connected to that because the final wasn't there? I, I think there were a couple of things. I mean, one is that the Bell Center is so big. I mean, it holds, holds 21,000. And, I mean, it. Uh, I do know, I have heard from a good source that for some of, some of the uh, – group games in Montreal this time around when they do it in 2017 and the and the hosting for the uh, metal games will flip, um, that they are going to start curtaining off the uh, upper bowl potential, possibly at the Bell Center. But I, I just think it was a couple things. I think Kevin hit the nail on the head with the Montreal-Toronto divide. That's just, I mean, it was one thing to split the tournament between Regina and Saskatoon or Calgary and Edmonton, but Montreal and Toronto, that, that was biting off a bit more than they, they can chew like Montreal, Quebec City, or, you know, Toronto, Ottawa would, would make more, a lot more sense. But they just, I think they got a little too ambitious with that. And I think it did kind of get lost in the shuffle. And I'm sure people in Montreal like, didn't like, you know, taking, you know, second fiddle behind Toronto. Oh, Toronto's going to get, you know, all the, you know, the, the, the gold medal games. We just get Canada's first round games. Uh, and so I do think there are a lot of factors for why it didn't, working well as well in Montreal as they, they had anticipated. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I was at a couple games last year during the, the championship here in Toronto. And uh, as you said, Nate, off the top, I paid, well, I didn't pay for it. It was given to me. But the face value on the ticket for the uh, Russian-Sweden quarterfinal game that I saw was $120. And I can't imagine, I spent, you used to spend that on a whole year of junior hockey, right? So <laughs> uh, just out, outstandingly expensive tickets. Um, I did notice a lot when I was hanging around the ACC uh, during the event last year that there seemed to be a lot of buses coming in from the outskirts, we'll say. Uh, Torontonians, you know, they obviously paid for the price and the corporate side of things to to get in there and fill that building, and the atmosphere was incredible in there. But uh, certainly this is an event, I think, or junior hockey in general, that appeals a lot more to um, to smaller communities. And I, I sometimes really lament the fact that Talkie Canada has sort of outpaced this, so you, it can never really go back to those smaller communities. Have we lost something by not, you know, having Swift Currents host this event anymore? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's it it is interesting. Like, and I did did sort of pick up on that when it was in Buffalo. It's not necessarily you know people who live in the you know major centers. It's people coming in who actually you know you know, biting the bullet and, and, and buying these really expensive tickets and staying in hot- hotels, uh, you know, coming in. I don't know if they're necessarily the people who go watch the Barry Colts, but they might live in those communities. Uh, but yeah, I think it's something has, has it, the way it's gotten, gotten it has uh, lost something of what, you know, made it unique and charming, you know, back in the 90s when it would, they would play this tournament in like Red Deer or in, in, uh, in uh, Winnipeg or, play, you know, set centers like that. I mean, when you're talking like splitting it between Canada's two largest cities, I mean, you're just like, wow. 
Kevin, uh, I, I think that an interesting the, the junior hockey divide in terms of who our junior hockey team or fans in this this country is is something. Nate and I both grew up in smaller centers, uh, close to junior hockey, so that became our NHL in many ways. We didn't have a lot of access to the NHL, so that was the biggest game in town. We we would go to it, and, and you know that would be our thing, right? But you grew up in Montreal or Laval, and you you didn't have a lot of access to junior hockey. So would you consider yourself a junior hockey fan or was it something that uh, sort of, you know, you have to learn about every December? I consider myself a hockey fan up until maybe when I was 11 or 12. That's when the Titan Laval eventually left Laval and went to uh, become uh, teams in uh, Titans of Academy Bathurst in uh, New Brunswick. So, uh, yes, my team law left, so I get the feeling that you have, Dwayne, with Belleville, so I understand. Yes, the Titan Laval was a team that eventually, before Titan was called the Voisins, so that's where Mario Lemur played. So in that same place where Mario Lemur played at the old Colisée de Laval, I saw a couple of games uh, coached by Michel Therrien, who was coach of the Titan Laval in uh, 92, oh. 91, a long, long time ago. So I did experience a little bit of a junior hockey town, but you're right, Dwayne, the fact that that team left earlier, and it was... Earlier in the fact that uh, Laval was very separated from Montreal. Now it seems like it's with the metro here and it's so close to Montreal now with uh, new uh, highways and everything that people go to Montreal. I don't know if a junior hockey team in Laval would work now. We'll see uh, next year when, because there's an actual, it's, it's, it's funny you ask, about uh, 500 meters from my place, Dwayne. There's an arena, about uh, 8,000 seat arena that's being built right now for the future Canadians, uh, American Hockey League team. It's going to be in Laval about... Uh, rock throw away from where I'm living. So that's going to be interesting to see if they bring junior game here exhibition stuff. But yeah, I ever since the Titan Laval left, I was not necessarily infil- implicated with uh, junior hockey because either Montreal had a team and was too further away and it lost in the shuffle or it's always teams that are far away. The only example of a team that's actually having success in in quotes, because it's actually far from Montreal, and uh, it's uh, the Ar- Armada from blaiville Beaubriand, which have a nice little arena, a nice crowd, but it's not as popular as it was at the beginning. So, uh, yeah, the region in itself, and myself included, it's hard to feel implicated in the junior culture because it's not our first team. It's not the first most populous, popular team in the league or in the, the city, I mean. Because in other cities, example, Rimouski, or if you go to Quebec now, Quebec is a good example because they don't have a NHL team so for them the rapport are the highest hockey team they have in the region and they're selling out 18,000 fans at the new Centre Vidéotron for every single game so yeah there's a big difference between cities of how popular junior hockey is yeah well in 18,000 seats I can attest firsthand that uh, those big markets uh, that adapt junior hockey push out some smaller markets within the junior hockey market so it's kind of a vicious circle in a lot of ways um Nate, uh, I want to – well, before we move into the tournament specifically for this year, we'll, we'll get a, your take on that a little bit in a second. Um, I did want to sort of address the something of similar to what Tra- Kevin just said in terms of the Toronto market in junior hockey, which has never really worked here. We've seen uh, Mississauga's on the ropes from all that I, I'm hearing. Uh, Brampton is, is gone. Um, Hamilton, as you said, is struggling a little bit. Well, why has it failed to ever grab hold in the GTA and it's a good question. I, I just think it comes back to you know you know the sense of com- of community and I mean it's it's a little bit different when you live in a you know a major city than when, than when you uh, and I, and I think it comes down to competition just for the entertainment dollar. I mean I mean people it's not the you know 
necessarily the fact that it's an NHL city or whatever. It's the fact that there's so many more things you can do for, you know, 30, no, let's say $30 or, 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 or fewer in those cities than you then than watch, you know, some, you know, half talented teenagers chase a puck around for a couple of hours. And, uh, I, and I, I also sometimes wonder if it's the, just the explosion of televised, you know, sports, uh, so many more entertainment options. Now I was talking to, you know, the North Bay battalions, president, Mike Griffin, uh, earlier this week for a store. And he was saying, Hey, there, there were a couple of nights we were playing the same day that the, the same time the blue Jays were in one of their playoff games. And we noticed, you know, seat, seats that are normally occupied were, were empty. And I, he said that I was flipping around watching other OHL games when we were on the road. And I was noticing there were some empty buildings and it's because, because of stuff like that. And now you look like, I mean, I mean, we're old enough to remember the time when the only NHL you saw really was hockey night in Canada, and maybe you got like one midweek game on on a Wednesday night. And now it's like uh, with uh, they with uh, the Sportsnet uh, contract with the NHL, you know, only eleven more years of uh, Damian Cox. <laughs> um, yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone there, but uh, they have a game on every night, so I, I think there's a lot of th- you know things uh, you know the a lot of the in-home entertainment options, a lot more, you know, things to do, to do. And I think that's what sort of works against it. I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting, the point I'm eventually getting to is that sometimes the major junior thing kind of works on the scarcity pr- principle. I mean, what is there to do in Moose Jaw on a, on a Wednesday night, you know? <laughs> Pre- precisely. Well, yeah. It, the, the, Sorry, the, Moose Jaw. Well, I, I've been in Moose Jaw. It's lovely. You you could go in the tunnels once you've been there once, though. I don't know. Uh, you could drive to Regina. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, yeah, I I was gonna say yeah. The, the scarcity thing is interesting. I, I mean, I grew up as a Washington Capitals fan, oddly enough, in in Eastern Ontario, and I've seen all their parts of about ten or eleven of their games this year. And I don't have the center ice package, so figure that out. Um, all right, let's t- move to the tournament specifically for this year, Nate. And, uh, you know, is it a, a case that Canada should be considered the favorite always, or should we be looking at the, the European teams because it's in Europe? Uh, yeah, I know. I don't know if Canada's necessarily the favorite. I mean, obviously they send a, a slightly younger team than usual this year, and they have had their difficulties winning on big ice uh, the last two tournaments in Europe, they came fourth, which is, you know, just embarrassing really. Uh, and, you know, they're going to be in a bit of a tough pool with, you know, the U S has a very talented, will have a very talented team, but also a somewhat younger group and, you know, no Jack Eichel, no Dylan Lark and they're in the NHL. Now they're not juniors anymore, uh, but they, you know, Austin Matthews, the potential number one pick in the, the draft who's been playing the whole season with, uh, you know, the Zurich Lions in, in the Swiss League is it will probably be the centerpiece of that team. And Sweden, it looks like they'll get uh, William Nylander, the uh, sorry, Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, first rounder from a couple of years back. They're they're going to loan him out, so that's going to make Sweden a pretty dangerous team. Canada gets them both in the in the group stage, the U.S. on Boxing Day and Sweden on New Year New Year's Eve, sort of as bookends to the the, the first round. So. That's going to be quite a challenge, uh, but I mean, it's an unpredictable. It can be an unpredictable tournament. I mean, there's been a lot of different winners in the last, I guess, six years or so, and uh, you know, Finland's obviously going to have the the leg up from playing at home, and you know, Russia's always sort of a wild card in, in there now, now too. So it, it's I think the top five or six of the tournament will 
will be will be pretty solid. And we should, shouldn't uh, neglect to mention that the you know the Czech Republic won a you know you, you go back two years to the world under 18. They they won the silver medal that year in, in 2014, and it looks like they might get David Pasternik on loan from the Boston Bruins. That would that would sort of certainly put them in the medal conversation. Not maybe not gold or silver, but certainly. A, enough to have an impact on who, who, who gets that third spot. I, I'm actually going to be part of the problem when the next ratings come out because a, a couple days ago I was uh, I was doing some work and I threw the TV on in the background because I work at home to to get some noise. I like noise when I'm writing. And uh, I there was a World Junior game from last year on. So I was watching a repeat of a World Junior game from last year on and I'm sure that that will beat the several soccer games in next week's ratings. So I'm going to be part of the problem. Thanks, uh, but thanks what, Wayne. Thanks. It's yeah, your fault. Yeah. But one of the things that I heard the commentators say during the during the broadcast that made my ears perk up, perk up were uh, he said, "Oh, the, you know, people say that the only country that cares is Canada. Uh, the only country that cares on a massive level is Canada, but uh, but that's not true. This is massive." And he listed a bunch of countries off. Um, we sort of touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, you know, is there any truth to the idea that this is growing uh, amongst the general population outside of uh, of Canada, Nate? I, I, it's hard to tell. I, I don't know if it's ever ever going to be bigger than the, like I say, the senior world championship is, is among among the hockey hockey people in Europe. I mean, and it, certainly the casual fan. I think uh, you know footprint that it, that it has has in Canada. Well, I don't think it'll ever be close to being matched. I mean, I think it's a bigger deal for people who are hockey fans in the U.S. and Europe than it was. And I think, you know, because of, you know, the NHL network giving it a lot of play, I think it's become bigger among that, you know, niche. But I don't know if it's, a, I mean, like the ESPN mentioned it at all in the States. I mean, if I mean, I know you, people have had a lot of issues with ESPN and how much play it gives hockey because it doesn't have hockey. But, um, I mean, until until you're see, seeing highlights on on. ESPN Sports Center. I don't think you know how you can say it's ever it really caught on. Caught on, and I mean, you certainly do see a lot more coverage of it. Yeah, like you know, in European media. I mean, just judging. I mean, some of the best stories I've got have been you know from finding out what often blood it had about Team Sweden, Team Sweden. But I don't know if it's ever really had that kind of breakthrough and you know beyond its you know hockey's regular reach that like it has in Canada. All right, I want to move it away from the junior standard hockey conversation, and, and we sort of mentioned this off the top, and I am interested to get your take, Nate and, and Kevin. I know what your take is, I think, but I'm going to ask you again anyway. Um, this World Cup next uh, September, uh, to me it's a, a money grab, and I don't like the idea that they have these two teams that aren't real countries in there. I don't think you can call it a World Cup if you don't have a qualifying process and you're not opening it up to the full world. I think it's a Canada Cup in that case, and if it, they had called it that, then maybe I might be a little less cynical about it. Um, am I being overly critical? Uh, I'll start with you, Nate, in terms of my critique of of this World Cup, quote-unquote, or is it sort of a half-baked idea that, uh, that just – reeks of money grabbing well it does reek of money grabbing and i guess it should be called canada cup because that would be a great way to uh quote unquote honor alan eagleson's legacy right <laughs> uh, yeah. uh no i i, I kind of looked at it. i was talking about this with buddies yesterday and there, one of my friends was like i think this you know i'm a huge hockey fan and i'd look at this and i think this is just the big most you know brazen you know cash grab of all all time uh 
And, and, and then he's like, and yet I see there's going to be some pre competition games in Ottawa. I might grab some tickets. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not enamored of it. To me, it does sort of reek of that World Cup of Hockey. I, I remember the one that was held just before the 2004 05 lockout, and it was just kind of like, what? what is the purpose of this? I mean, didn't we just already have an, a best on best Olympic tournament two years ago? Uh, and it's not, and like you say, it doesn't, it can't be called a world cup when you have uh, squads that aren't representing any, that are, you know, not representing any nation. And when no one had to qualify for this, it was just kind of like, Oh yeah, you're usually pretty good at hockey. You get a team and you get a team. And yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, and I'm still coming to this as, you know, and to look at it from the perspective of, you know, other sports. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a big soccer fan first and foremost. I mean, I, I watch the odd game here and there. I, you know, go watch Ottawa Fury FC here and there, but I get excited about the world cup qualifying because it's a true, you know, anyone can pull this off, you know, vibe to it. Uh, and even things like, uh, you know, like even the world baseball classic, someone had to, you know, I mean, it's a bit of a contrivance, but, someone still had to qualify for that. Right. I, I, so I'm not too wild about this world cup of hockey, like that, you know, ask me again when it, when it gets going, I, but to me, it's just kind of a bit of a, I don't know, a, a bit of an echo chamber. I mean, the same countries that, you know, usually these things will probably do, do, do about the same. So I, I'm not too, too uh, hyped up about it. Yeah. I, I'll get bring you in a second, Kevin. But yeah, it's exactly you, you nailed it there, Nate. In the sense that I'm pretty cynical about it right now. But you know, when when it's on TV, when it's on my TV, you know, all I have to do is click to it. And Canada's playing Russia on a you know Tuesday night next September. I don't, I can't honestly say that I'm not going to stop and watch that. But at the same time, I can't imagine going to a bar, at, a packed bar at seven in the morning. Well, it wouldn't be at seven in the morning, but you know what I mean? To watch the final and have people storm out in the street after we won, like we saw in the last couple of Olympics. So it, it kind of gets me that way. So Kevin, are you a big uh, Team Europe fan or are you a big uh, Team U23 fan? I think Team U23, no, seriously. I earlier before I have all the information about the World Cup, it had a, like, a romantic opinion of it because for me the world cup is even 2004 it was a nice one you had a yes because it was a, the, the lockout and you had all the good players playing and it had a different vibe because of the lockout and all that but uh, the world cup has a special connotation because of the name and it's a shame i have to agree with you and nate where it's a shame that they're using the world cup terminology for this tournament because it's not treated like a world cup there's no qualification like you all said but Still, it's going to be probably a very high level of hockey where you see best players in the world against each other on a North American ice with the North American rules. And stands are going to be crazy filled and it's going to be great atmosphere. So even though it's not going to be a great tournament because of the openness of it and because of, well, uh, Team Jamaica is not going to be able to qualify for it. Well, outside of that, hockey is going to be great to watch. All right, a quick yes/no answer to wrap the thing up. Will they be at the Olympics, Nate? I'm thinking no. <laughs> I I don't. Yeah, I can't really give a yes/no. I, I I think it's maybe. And Kevin, uh, your opinion? I think they have to be. I think it's the fact that there's a a lot of emerging countries, and that uh, South Korea is like the hockey. They're gonna try to get. The, the initial players, because without them, it loses a bit of its uh, 
not necessarily popularity, but a little bit of its cachet to pro, pro players or not there. All right, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and wrap the show up with a little baseball talk and uh, maybe even touch on uh, on Chelsea's former manager. Well, uh, it's the holiday season, and Santa is checking his list to see who is naughty or nice, and I'm kind of feeling guilty, so I wrote a song. So many presents. <laughs> so little time. Santa won't be coming by my house this year Cause I tried to drown my sister And I pierced my ear Oh, Mama made it perfectly clear Santa don't like bad boys And welcome back uh, let's move it from the ice to the diamond. And uh, I know, Nate, you're a huge baseball fan as well. Uh, I remember back in the days when we both, well, what was your site? I wrote for you back for uh, the out of left field site. There was a lot of baseball conversations and I could barely keep up. It was kind of the early emerging days of the stats. And I learned a lot about how to think about games in a different way from reading stuff that you wrote and others on that site wrote. So I thank you for that. Um, but uh, we have to start with something that doesn't really require stats, and that's the Pete Rose uh, conversation that broke down this week. Uh, you were saying off air to me, Nate, that, that you have kind of a different take on Pete Rose. So I'll just just throw it to you with that. What is your take on Pete Rose? Well, I guess it's more of a reaction to the fact that, you know, you see all the drive-by media. Should Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame? And I'm like, this is not really a yes-no question um, in, in so much as uh, – that what, what people really need to understand is why did they, why did they get down this path? And the, the fact of the matter was when, you know, Pete Rose was banned from ba- ba- working in baseball in 1989. And then a year later, kind of as a pile on, you know, the baseball writers association of America, who is the body that votes for Cooperstown, which is supposed to be sort of independent from major league baseball. They did, they tacked on this rule that no one who's on the permanently ineligible list can um, you know appear on the on the writers ballot, which is how you know players are voted voted in, and I, really, I mean that was a short sighted move because what they should have been doing is saying, well, let's just put this to a vote, like like they've done with sort of the so called steroid era players like Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, uh, and just you know put them on the ballot. Let's see what happens. I mean there there would be probably be you know a significant I would think think a significant chunk of the you know, 500 or so people in the in the electorate who would say, "Oh, I'm not going to vote for him because he broke rules." And and I mean, we've seen that with uh, you know Bonds, Clemens, and uh, Mark McGuire. I mean, he only got 10 percent of the ballot last year. You know, there's people who are saying, "Oh, I'm not going to vote for the, the steroid era guys." And I'm thinking there would have been people who would have withheld their support of Pete Rose, but maybe after a time and maybe after, you know, other players of his vintage, like the icons from his era, you know, Mike Schmidt and Tom Seaver and Reggie Jackson and Rob Carew had all been inducted, that there probably would have come a point where, you know, people would have elected him and, and he would have got, you know, taken his rightful place. But, and this never gets talked about. It's always just like, Oh, it, 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 he, he, oh, he gambled. Oh, you know, other guys did this. And it, it's people confusing morals and ethics. And I mean, it's in a way that, this ban has been the best thing for him ever because it's kept his name out there right, for 25 years. But I guess that's my take on it. Like, why can't people just go back to what mistakes were made, admittedly made and how this might have been you know, rectified much more swiftly and, you know, 
And I guess that's all, all I really have to say about it. Just it sort of grinds my gears that people can't have an, a somewhat adult conversation about that. I think that uh, maybe by being black and white about it, we failed to have a true conversation about what it was that he did too, Nate, in the sense that gambling on the sport does put you at risk of, of falling into the wrong kind of people that could ultimately lead to, to match fixing. And that's always been my issue with it is the gambling stuff and people that say, oh, well, gambling, we gamble on Proline, we gamble on this. It's they're kind of missing the point of if you're gambling with uh, unsavory types and you get yourself into trouble, then you're setting yourself up to be in trouble. But that said – if you were to to put him in the Hall of Fame based on his performance, which is what a Hall of Fame should be about, then you could maybe put that asterisk on there. Okay, he's in the Hall of Fame, but this is what he did, and this is why it's wrong, and this is why we ban this, and this is why he can't work in baseball. Maybe that's more of a learning moment, and that's kind of where I'm coming from now. Kevin, do you have anything to add to that conversation? Yeah, I agree with both of you, Where especially with Nate, where a vote should have been uh, actually put him on the ballot, see if he gets elected or not. and then. But what actually... What we failed to mention in the description of this is there's an actual relationship between baseball itself and Pete Rose since 1990, where the Baseball Writers Association decided that people were not eligible, were not be voted into the Hall of Fame. Is they've asked Pete Rose to do certain type of things to eventually be able to be reinstated. The first one of these is, dude, stop betting on baseball. Guess what he said <laughs> in the press conference this week, where. First of all, he's milking the uh, population and he's milking the fans out there to try to get that uh, sympathy by doing the press conference in front of his own monument that's not in Cooperstown, but somewhere else in, in his for in his honor. And to ask the question, Pete, do you still gamble on baseball? Well, I don't do it every day, but every two, three days, if I feel I should, I want to, I do. You could tell he was... He is still betting on baseball. And that's the one thing they don't want him to do. Why? Because if they can explain to people or want to make a case at the mainstream public and mainstream people, like, dude, we're trying to help you here, but you're not helping yourself. We're only asking you one thing. Don't bet on baseball. Focus on other sports. Focus on hockey, for God's sakes. No, he's (laughs) betting on baseball. And that's the one thing baseball and the writers don't want him to do and listening to Ken Rothenthal when he was talking about this situation and he was saying, look, Pete, only do one thing. Stop betting on baseball and be open about it, honest about it. And, and he still has a, he's still shady in that area. And if you listen to that care for that press conference this week, he is very on edge when that subject comes up and he's not at ease. So still, it still feels weird and shady. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's not his, he's his own worst enemy in many ways. And uh, yeah, there, there's a, there's, there's quite a parallel. It's almost like, and I'm not an expert on like addiction or or disorders or, or anything like that, but I, I almost see it as like kind of Rob Ford, <clears throat> Donald Trump zone behavior. Like it's like the attention is the validation for for what for the behavior, and he just figures he can go on go on like that when when you know, in fact you know you know contemporaries such as you know Johnny Bencher said you know Pete's got to get help. He's got to you know an issue with compulsive, compulsive gambling. And I mean, that, that, that's the one parallel I draw. And I guess the other parallel when people say, Oh, you know, gambling so much more mainstream, everyone does it. And like, yeah, but it's kind of like, if you work as a blackjack dealer in a Las Vegas casino, you don't get to clock out and then come back and gamble at the same table. Cause it looks, cause you're playing hell. It looks bad for the integrity of, you know, a game of chance. 
and at the same time, it's kind of like, uh, you know, that thing with the daily fantasy sports, uh, yeah. companies where it turns out their own employees are, are raking in, in huge amounts of money here. You know, it's kind of the don't shit where you eat thing. Uh, I mean, that's why it was such a, you know, a verboten thing in baseball with, with gam with, you know, consorting or, you know, betting or whatever. And, uh, people don't understand the historical context with that going all the way back to when at least one World Series was not on the level, and uh, <laughs> yeah. so I mean, it, I mean, if they say that you know, sort of bang on, Pete Rose has not helped Pete Rose, but if if they had said, hey, you can still be on the Hall of Fame ballot, but you've got to show, you know, some sort of rehabilitation here and. As I said, reconfigure your life, uh, when, which is the exact words that were used when, when he was banned. Then maybe this could have been this sort of great American tragedy could have somehow been truncated if they had, if I, that had happened. But instead, they took the easy way out and said, "Oh no, not on the ballot." No, I agree, and I want to add something too. It's uh, why is Pete Rose fighting so hard to go back into the Hall of Fame? You have to ask yourself the question: Why is that fight done by Pete Rose? You have to look at it pragmatically. What does it bring to him to uh, go to the Hall of Fame? Is he going to be recognized? Not necessarily more. Like Nate said, the attention for him to get back in gets more publicity than him would have been in uh, like last 20, 10 years. Uh, what I'm looking at is, well, is it money? Does he want to go back in baseball to get more money so he can bet more? If that's the case, he shouldn't be reinstated. You know what I'm saying? Is What's his end goal? What's his motivation behind going back to baseball? And if it's to get more jobs, more money, well, they should not do it because he's going to gamble it. That, it's like a vicious circle. Yeah, that'd be HOF uh, on the on the signature that they already are getting paid for uh, does actually add value to it. So there's no doubt that there's probably a financial windfall there. I, I get Look, I, I can see from a purely sort of like I want to be honored way, like uh, it's a big deal and he's a sporting guy. He was a highly competitive guy. I can kind of get it from there, but certainly there would be a financial windfall. Let's move away from um, from Pete Rose and move it to another player that interests me. There was an article this week talking about uh, Tim Raines, uh, the former Montreal Expo uh, standout that uh, that in many ways has also been – maybe not treated completely fairly based on Hall of Fame voters for a lot of reasons, both the fact that he played a lot of his career in Montreal and that sort of put him out of the eye, but uh, he also had an issue with cocaine in his career that he admitted to, and uh, I think that there were a lot of older voters that uh, look down upon that and maybe discount him for those reasons. But, uh, Nate, I know that this is a a pet uh, subject of yours. Uh, Should should Tim Raines be in the Hall of Fame? No, absolutely. I mean... His, you know, career numbers, I mean, when you start to look at, you know, the total value that he generated, he's pretty much close to being on par with Tony Gwynn. And Tony Gwynn, you know, you know, rest his soul, uh, was elected in, on the first ballot in 2007 with like 94% support. And, and Reigns has sort of just hasn't been able to get to that 75% threshold. Although I have seen some people that are keep tabulating all the uh, ballots that have been made public and reigns is right around that threshold. I mean, you know, it was at 75%. This is, of course, could be a sec, would be a second last year on the ballot. So, yeah, he has, I think it's just with reigns. It's like, I mean, he sort of grades out well on sort of all the, you know, new school analytics. And he does fairly well on the old school stats, but he doesn't have the things like 3,000 career hits because he's, career was shortened by playing on artificial turf in Montreal for so many years. And he doesn't have the 300 batting average and things like that to kind of, you know, 
you know, really fill out the thumbnail sketch. But at the same time, I mean, yeah, he should have been in quite a, quite a long time, quite a long time ago. And, but I mean, here, here we are in 2017, still talking about the possibility he might, you know, finally get there this year or next. Uh, Nate, real quickly before I bring Kevin on, I wanted to ask you a question about uh, sort of where the the voters are right now. You mentioned the uh, new school, old school kind of thinking in terms of the stats. I'm just curious whether we're starting to see a shift towards the voters being more inclined to look at those newer numbers, those analytic numbers, or are we still kind of in that you have to have X amount of home runs, X amount of batting average? Uh, Where is the voting list right now as far as you understand? Well, I know that there was a bit of a, almost a bit, a bit of a call of, of people who, you know, aren't covering baseball anymore. And I know that they've started to expand the, uh, you know, Baseball Writers Association of America membership uh, in the last few years. Uh, for a long time, you know, website writers such as, you know, Rob Nyer were on it, but they, and ESPN writers like Christina Carl didn't, didn't get weren't admitted and you have to have been a member for 10 years before you get to vote for the Hall of Fame, but they finally started to slowly, you know, probably later than they should have do that. And I know now uh, MLB.com beat writers are, are being added, added to the BBWAA membership for the first, first time. So it, it's starting to change. And I think also, you know, older writers, like the old people have been around for 35 years, such as my friend Bob Elliott, you know, they're, they're sort of getting the, the grasp of what war and, you know, wins above replacement and, and all the, and all these other data points, what, what they mean. So I think they're, you know, I don't think there's the polarization that there was even five years ago, Never mind, you know, you know, 15 or 25. So it's, it's definitely swung around. I mean, you're certainly seeing that like Bert Blylevin's election certainly illustrates that he wasn't a 300 game winner and didn't win a Cy Young award in his career, but people are like, wow, this guy really could pitch uh, very well for a long time. It just happened to be that he did it in places such as, you know, Minnesota and Cleveland and, and Pittsburgh and in Texas. Uh, so I think we are sort of getting away from that the counting stats bias and uh, I think the the big city bias that's obviously been rife through the the voting for for decades. Yeah, yeah, I've always found the battle of stats in baseball a bit odd because you know what was a batting average, what was an ERA back in you know 1910, right? It's 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 all stats. It was all new stats eventually. Uh, Kevin, before we uh, leave this topic and, and touch on uh, Jose Mourinho real quickly before we end the show. Um, I mentioned the Montreal, like whether Tim Raines was being uh, hurt because he played in, in Canada and in Montreal for a long time. Is that something that you still hear in the Montreal market in a general way, that there's this belief that they uh, their athletes don't get recognized in the same way that uh, that they would if they played, you know, in English Canada and hockey thing or, or in, in an American center if they played um, – played in a sport that was played there no not anymore i think but the uh well the famous internet and the uh the shrinkage of the world the world has become a way smaller place than it used to be just 10 15 20 years ago just the fact that you can communicate and send data and send video packages and audio easier than you could 20 years ago uh 20 years ago um american baseball writers per se because that's the example we're using or hockey writers or uh, all sports writers from down the states further they were the more the less clue they had about what was going on in Montreal. It's not necessarily the case now with the game center packages, extra innings, a s- a Sunday ticket, all those programs over over the top, and all those 
broadcasting channels now. Uh, people are aware of what's going on everywhere, especially baseball writers, hockey writers. If they are in the know, they know what's going on in Montreal. If you follow a little bit of what's going on, Montreal has been talked about. Then I think it's the advent of the internet and the easier communication if you don't want to just pinpoint internet per se. Yeah, they are second in the Eastern Conference right now. The Habs second. Uh, that, does, that does help that's too. Second. They're second. <laughs> okay. Um, that's Nate, I, let's wrap at this. Uh, we were talking about uh, Jose Mourinho. You said you're not a massive soccer fan, but you, you do pick it up from here and there. Just how much is that story, that character, uh, crossed over into your world, into the world of general sports now, in your opinion? Yeah, it's huge. Eh? I mean, I mean, to me, to me, it's kind of like uh, sometimes it's like soccer is the one sport where the man you still have the manager as you know philosopher king or whatever. Uh, I don't know if you'd really get that as much. As, I mean, baseball doesn't really have any iconic you know managers like that anymore. I mean, Billy, Billy Martin's been gone gone for a long time, you know. Uh, so yeah, it's it's huge. I sort of see that you know now there's people saying he might go to Real Madrid, I guess, and. Uh, yeah, so certainly, uh, you know, I know the season Chelsea's having, they're, you know, barely under the relegation zone, which is a concept that needs to come to North America, by the way. <laughs> yeah. The Leafs the don't agree. The, the Leafs least, least least could finish the season in the East Coast League, I think. <laughs> if that. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, it's it's certainly huge. And I mean, that just sends shockwaves everywhere when, when a, you know, a guy that prominent gets you know stacked and still relatively early in the year it's only at you know, mid-december yeah absolutely it's interesting to me uh, you know the shrinking world with uh with soccer now like it's it's nate like even back when you were running out of left field even back then it was like the difference in and the call in the amount of uh attention that soccer gets and that it's phenomenal it grows every year and it, it really uh you see tsn pushing the champions league products and all that sort of stuff it's just really interesting to me to see what uh what's happening in that world obviously i run in it but uh certainly interesting kevin um any uh, any thoughts on Mourinho before we say goodbye for the day uh jose what did you do jose why why it really feels like jose wanted out and he figured a way to alienate training staff medical staff ever, to be precise, and alienate uh, the players by that uh, decision eventually led to his demise. It literally feel like Marino wanted to find, figure a way out of his contract, and guess what? He figured it out. All right. On that note, we'll say goodbye to the day, and we'll see you the next time on the SBN Roundtable.